the Christian Circle podcast and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show. This time we're welcoming Father Christian Rab and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his surname right and he's been a, a priest. Before he was a priest, he was a high school teacher. So Father Christian, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I am a actually I'm a Benedictine monk as well as a priest. Okay. Uh, I've been a monk since I made my first vows in 2005, and I was ordained a priest in 2009. Mm-hmm. I belong to St. Meinrad Archabbey, a Benedictine monastery in the United States. For work now, I am a seminary professor. I teach systematic and sacramental theology at St. Meinrad Seminary. I also do a lot of work with young people, with college students. I have worked in campus ministry for many years at the Catholic University of America and at University of Evansville currently, and I direct a college internship in the summer at St. Meinrad. I'm just curious, what's the difference between a monk and a priest? Well, it's not necessarily a difference. Uh, some people are both, but to be a monk is to, to be someone, first and foremost, to committed, committed to the life of discipleship that is expressed classically through the evangelical councils of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Mm-hmm. And so monks uh, are committed to this lifestyle. We usually live in community uh, with prayer at the center and at the focus. We have a common life and common apostolates. And of course, some of us are also priests, uh, which means that we get to bring sacramental ministry into our apostolates, Mm -hmm. as well as uh, living the life of a monk. What was your own discernment process like when it came to making this big decision about your life? Yeah, that's a great question. In hindsight, I really see it unfolding over time in three phases. The first part was just getting to a point where I was willing to respond positively to what God seemed to be asking of me. But that was pretty hard, actually. I had thought here or there about being a priest since I was 11 years old. The question really began to tug at me, though, during my college years. But I was just very afraid of saying yes, afraid of what it was mean, afraid of how it would impact my relationships with my family and my friends. And so, you know, I was hesitant to let go of the dream of getting married and having a family of my own. Mm -hmm. So really, the first part of my discernment was, I think, moving through that fear and getting past it, which was by rooting myself more deeply in God's love through prayer and the sacraments, learning to trust him more than I had. But once I, I think I got to that point of, of willingness, St. Ignatius of Loyola talks about a kind of indifference, a holy indifference, which says, you know, I'm available, I'm ready to go wherever you go and ask me to go, God. Uh, just kind of reaching that point, um, once I arrived, I think, at that point, I was surprised to learn that my discernment wasn't over, <laughs> I, uh, because you cannot be a priest or a religious in the abstract. So, you know, I had to think about where, in particular, I was called to to follow him. Um, and so that was really a second phase, identifying a particular path. And that just required investigating and visiting various religious communities, talking to people, uh, getting a sense of what fit and what didn't seem to fit. Uh, what felt right, what did not. I joined a support uh, group of other men who were in discernment for either priesthood or religious life. And I finally decided on this Benedictine community, this monastery, um, as a place to pursue the religious life and priesthood. But actually entering the community, my, my discernment wasn't over even then. In the church's wisdom, you know, she requires a, a kind of probationary period before we make vows. So 
during the what we call the novitiate, which is the first year or two of, of religious life, I'd say your romantic idealizations get stripped away <laughs> and you realize that there there's still going to be a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. And you have to ask yourself whether you're really there for the right reasons, whether you're there in, in there for the long haul. And by God's grace, here I am today, uh, many years later. And so, yeah, I would say those were kind of my, I look back, I see those three kind of phases of my discernment. How long did it take you to, to make your decision? To, I mean, your entire process, how, how long did it stretch? Well, like I said, you know, I kind of got a first sense of, I had an idea, you know, even as a kid, what, what a boy, I really, there was a priest, you know, that I knew I really admired. And, and then there was certain social situations where I would be in with my, my little friends, or then even in high school with my, my classmates, where I thought about how I would like to be there for other people. And, and just this idea of being a priest just kind of came into my head at those, sometimes at those moments. And uh, it really kicked into gear when I was in college. That's when the, the tug, be, you know, it became more than a nudge. And and so I would say I was about 20 and I went on a, a retreat that uh, where I'd say the desire really woke up in me. Mm-hmm. But it took another eight years before I finally entered a community. Like I said, I think a lot of that was just moving through some of my own fears and hesitancies mm-hmm. and then the process of actually deciding, well, where should I go? We have a joke in the monastery that it kind of, I don't know if it's a joke really, we have a saying in the monastery that it takes 10 years from the first time you get the idea of being a monk towards when you might be ready to make a move. I don't know if that's always true, but it does seem to be take people a while to get used to the idea. And I know this is not part of our uh, question list, but sure. would you say that discernment really never ends? I mean, once you start using that gift, your whole life basically is about discerning what God wants for you, isn't it? I think that's very true. Yeah, um, certainly we we are continuing to make little choices uh, and and you know some medium sized choices. How's that? John Paul II talked in one of his documents about the idea of of a vo- vocation within a vocation, and his what he meant there was even after you've made a big commitment, you know, a life commitment like priesthood or religious life or marriage, you still are confronted with following the Lord where he takes you. So my vocation within a vocation may be, you know, right now I'm called to be a teacher, but later on maybe I will be sent out to work in a parish or do something else. And so, and then of course there are moral decisions that we are confronted with on a day-to-day basis where we also need to continue to discern, you know, between right and wrong, try to perceive God's will for our lives. Now, you've written a post on Vocation Network. Now, this was the post that actually... um uh, bring some attention to you because this was a very, very informative post about, uh, you know, the 10 things to know about discerning a vocation. And the first thing you talk about is um, God calling you. So uh, can you go through these um, 10 points uh, about how you go and discern? Yeah, sure. And one of the things that I say in my article is that these points are not like a formula, you know, and, and it's not a step-by-step guide. Uh, they're more... 10 things maybe to keep in mind or 10, 10 bits of wisdom that I, I think could be helpful. Um, and I, some people who've discerning certainly have told me that they've been helpful. First, God calls. Vocation comes from the Latin voca- vocare, which means to, to call. 
And when we use the word vocation, we are acknowledging that this is about more than pursuing your individual dream, that somebody else is involved here. Fulton Sheen wrote a great book at one point called Three to Get Married. Uh, and his idea was that, that, that this vocation to marriage was not just about the man and the woman, but God who had brought them together. And so when we begin to talk about vocation, we're immediately talking in a, a theological and a spiritual context that says, it's not just about me and maybe what I want, but we're recognizing that there is a higher power uh, who calls us in a direction for our life. Second thing I say is that vocation is a two-way gift. I, I like this one because I think sometimes we we don't, many of us, forget or maybe sadly never realize that vocation is a gift. Sometimes people imagine that it is only about a burden or they, they only see it in light of picking up a cross, you know, in a in a kind of burdensome way. We need to remember that Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the vocation that he wants to give us is a gift, and it's something to be grateful for. It's something that he is doing for us as much as it is something we are doing for him. With that said, it is a gift that we are called to give. Hmm. So so having received this gift, you know, the way that we show that we have received it is to give ourselves fully in it. Hmm. And, uh, and of course, this is just how we find our fulfillment as persons. The Second Vatican Council talks about how the human person is fulfilled in giving themselves away. And so I believe that if we see vocation as a gift, both a gift we receive and a gift we give, it's the right way to see it. A third point of wisdom that I make or recognize, and, and all of these, by the way, are things that, I, they're pieces of wisdom that I very much picked up with the help of others on my own journey. Um, and this one is one that I really got from my own spiritual director when I was discerning. I'll probably talk a little bit about spiritual directors in a second. But the idea that God respects and preserves our freedom. If vocation is a gift of God that we in turn have the privilege to give, well, gifts intrinsically are free. And it is not something that God forces us to take or that we are forced to receive or to give. And I've seen so many situations where people in, end up in seminary or religious life, and interestingly, they say things like, well, I, I couldn't find someone to marry, so, <laughs> you know, so I'm here. And it sounds like a, a kind of a sad way to approach. I don't think that can sustain you for the long haul. But the amazing thing that I've seen God do so many times is when somebody comes in with this feeling, they they end up having a situation where they discover, oh, I'm capable, in fact, of being married. I could be in love with someone, or someone could be in love with me. And they then have to make the choice, not because this is a default uh, plan B that they ended up with through process of elimination, but they have to say, no, this is what I want above everything else. And so I do see God preserving our freedom, really, in this discernment process. The next one is know thyself. That's an ancient piece of wisdom that goes back very far. Uh, Socrates says things like that. Shakespeare does too, and probably many, many others. Mm -hmm. There is usually a continuity between who we are in our humanity and the vocation that God is calling to us to. So good discernment really requires us to get to know ourselves well, our feelings, our values, our best ways of praying, the lifestyle that seems most fulfilling. St. Teresa of Avila says that all spiritual growth begins 
and self-knowledge. And the more we get to know ourselves, the more we're going to have an ease, I think, in discerning our vocation. Because God really, I think, helps us to discern through the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Peace, gentleness, kindness, fruitfulness. When we know ourselves, we can see more easily what situations, what modes are going to bring those things to our heart, right? Mm. And so that self-knowledge is a key to vocational discernment. A next uh, piece is Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Vocational discernment needs to remain centered in Christ. Mm. Jesus calls us to follow, and sometimes that path that he calls us to, yes, it brings us joy, peace, freedom. But sometimes that, that peace, joy, and freedom, they're, they're really found internally in call, in, it's the peace and the joy of knowing I, I'm, I'm in good conscience and I'm, I'm doing what I believe God's asked me to do. It doesn't mean that the circumstances of our life are going to be easy and there will be sacrifices and challenges. And so in order to follow Jesus, we really need to build up our relationship with him so that we trust him. And that we, we can do that through sacramental participation, prayer, spiritual reading, uh, survive, surrounding ourselves with a supportive faith community. All these things help us to build the trust, which is central to following our Lord, where he wants to take us. Yeah, what would you say to people, uh, especially, you know, uh, lukewarm uh, Catholics who are not participating in sacramentals today or who have lost this love of the Eucharist or the belief uh, in the confessional, what would you say to these people? Well, I would say that I would love for you to know what you're missing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. The Eucharist is a place to ground ourselves amidst the storms of life. It is a tremendous source of hope, a tremendous source of strength, and really a guide for what's at the heart of every vocation. Because at the heart of every vocation, I think, is the call to love God and love neighbor. And when Jesus says, uh, this is my body given up for you, that's, that's the heart of the Eucharist. It's the heart of what he has done for us and what we are called to do in response. And I feel that many people today are a bit anchorless and needing a sense of meaning and purpose for their life. And I think the Eucharist gives us that. So your next um, point sure. is finding your place in the symphony. So, yeah. yeah. Actually, that goes very well with what I was just talking about. One way I like to think about the church is as a symphony. In that symphony, we're really all playing the same score. That score is the love of God and the love of neighbor. That's the heart of every vocation. Again, this Eucharistic center of vocation. This is my body given up for you. The gift the gift we receive and the gift we give. And that is the common core of all vocations. So then vocation, I mean, it's it, that's it's really the baptismal vocation, which, which underlies all further vocation. I think about particular vocations, you know, priesthood, marriage, religious life, or, or different works that we do, um, services that we perform. These are kind of like instruments in that symphony. They're different ways of playing the same score. And I think it's just really helpful to be as involved as you can in the faith community because it's by being there, and I say this particularly to young people, you know, by going on mission trips, by being part of faith formation classes, by uh, getting involved in the apostolates, these are ways that you kind of discover your favorite ways of giving. 
and that that's a really nice bridge too to the to the next point, which is to ask for help. Uh, in my own discernment, I, I, I honestly I kept it I kept it to myself for a long time. I, I was afraid to talk about it, afraid to share it with people, mm-hmm. and I really kind of missed out on a lot of support that I could have had. Uh, it's amazing when I finally did start to talk about it, how many people were there to encourage and and you need that. Even if people don't have have wisdom necessarily about what you should do, it's important to have the emotional support. God willing, your family and close friends will give that to you. There are times when they won't. Uh, but again, be part of that faith community because they can be there to support you. I think our community and faith can also offer insights to us about ourselves. Like they can t- say things, you know, you're really good at this. You, you might make a good uh, priest. You, you, I could really see you have a heart that is really fit for religious life or you're going to be a fantastic mother someday. We don't, it's funny when we look in the mirror, we never actually see our face accurately, right? It's backwards. And so I, I take that as somehow instructive that there are parts of ourselves that sometimes others pick up on that we don't always see. I think friends, family, spiritual director, all these people can be helpful. I also say the saints really can be a great help in vocational discernment. If you're interested or feel an attraction to a particular vocation, find out who the saint is that's a patron of that and and develop a devotion. They can be a great help. Thomas Merton tells a story about when he was discerning and he he was just kind of stuck, uh, but he heard that Therese of Lisieux had dedicated herself to praying for priests, and so he began a devotion to her, and once he did, it, his path was smoothed out, and uh, he found his way, and I actually did a similar thing in my own uh, vocation, and it was also praying to Therese, and she was a really big help in helping me take those last steps and finding the right spot. I know lots of people who, who entrust their their hope for a future spouse to the Blessed Virgin or to St. Joseph. I think the saints can be a great support to us in our discernment. So the next thing I would say is expect some blindness. I have yet to meet anyone that God has struck with a lightning bolt and told exactly what to do with his or her life. Um, And that certainly never happened to me. I have learned to appreciate that we often only know what the next step is, you know, and it's just so important to take that step. Uh, and we can get so paralyzed worrying about what all the further steps are that we don't take just that next step. I think that the next point is that God writes straight with crooked lines. I think sometimes that we can be overwhelmed by our own feelings of unworthiness. And I know many people on their way to priesthood or religious life have, have felt that way. I also know married people who suddenly, just before they're about to get married, just overwhelmed by the sense, I don't deserve this other person. That could lead us to a sense of gratitude that I'm not unworthy, but I'm not worthy, but I still have the privilege. You know, the the evil spirit could also distort that for us. And we could start to believe that we're, we're truly unworthy and we shouldn't go forward and we become paralyzed. God did great things with St. Peter and St. Paul, um, many saints who didn't have perfect paths uh, who were sinners, and God writes straight with those crooked lines. And so the the last point is that discernment is not your vocation. And uh, this is, I, I put this one in here a little bit whimsically, but sometimes folks kind of get addicted to vocational discernment, and they spend years and years and years uh, d- doing it. And uh, I, I was 
in that place, and my spiritual director just says to me one day, you do realize that discernment is not your vocation. And uh, that was kind of a wake-up call. It's great to be in the process, to, to check the right boxes, to try to make the wisest choice you can make, but there's always going to be a bit of the unknown. We can sometimes only know what that next step is, and it's just important to make that step and realize that, you know, if it was the wrong step, hey, again, God writes straight with crooked not lines. He rewards our efforts, and he can do much more with a mistake than he can do with inertia. So I do encourage people to just take that next step, whatever that step is. Is it joining a, a group of other young men or women who are also discerning vocations? Is it going to visit a religious community? Is it taking an application and getting ready to apply? You know, in the married life or on that different path, you're never going to get married if you don't ask somebody out. Um, <laughs> so it is really important to just take that next step. And you're saying this, but there are a lot of people who feel they've made the wrong choice. Like they're sure. and they now want to be, um, they're thinking maybe they would have made better religious people. There are people who are, I don't know, religious and they're wondering, well, has this been wrong? So what do you say to people who are regretting their decisions now for one reason or the other? Yeah, that is, that is really one of the hardest spots someone can be in to have that sense. And I'm not saying that it's impossible for for this to happen. But in my own experience, so many times there does come a point where I or people I've ministered to have been able to look back and say, oh, huh, I guess I was supposed to be in this spot. I doubted for a while that in fact this was the right thing, but there comes a point in life where I see, oh, this is this was the right the right path I was on. I just didn't realize it. Now, Maybe that's maybe that doesn't always happen, and and so the the other thing that I think that can be a consolation to us if we find ourselves really doubting where we are is to take peace and refuge in the truth that no matter where we are, the heart of every vocation is love of God and love of neighbor, and so we can still respond to this basic call in our own circumstances, no matter what. We can choose to love God and love neighbor where we are. And in the big scheme, this is what God wants and what he rewards. I, I sometimes have the privilege to do prison ministry. And, you know, in the prison ministry, there are many men who feel very deeply that they've made mistakes. And I think it's wonderful when they sometimes realize, yes, but I have the choice today to respond to God in my life where I am with love, uh, by honoring him and by uh, acting justly and charitably towards those around me. You know, God sees what is in the heart. He does not abandon and he will always find to bless you. He will always find ways to bless you if you honor him through your current circumstances. Isn't it a lot about making this decision about trusting God? So if you're having a hard time trusting God, you'd be having a hard time making these decisions too? Yes, I think that's very true. You know, the Bible says, the Bible says, do not be afraid 366 times. And, and that is once for every day of the year, including leap years. <laughs> and so I do believe that is this difficulty trusting out of fears. And, and those fears, sometimes they're very, ra I mean, they make sense in the context of someone's life, why they have become afraid. And so there's no judgment for, you know, for being afraid. It's very normal, but it is that trust that will help us move through that fear. And so, yes, you are absolutely right. It is taking 
the time to get to know Christ in a personal way that will open our hearts to trusting Him and following Him. What is the best advice you would give to somebody who is currently discerning what they should do next? <laughs> Besides what I've already said? Um, the best advice, the best of the best. <laughs> the best of the best. I think, I don't know if it's the best, but I, I'll add this to what I've already said. It's exciting to follow. It's exciting. It's an adventure to follow Christ. And I think being in discernment can be an exciting time of life. It's, it doesn't have to be something to dread. It can be really be something to be approached with positivity and excitement. I know you touched on prayer a little bit. How important would you say it is for somebody to spend a lot of time in prayer daily while they're doing their discernment? Yeah, uh, well, prayer is absolutely essential, absolutely essential, because, well, I can tell you this, you know, again, the trust in God is absolutely necessary to move forward, and we cannot, I don't see how we can trust if we don't pray. Uh, we have to get to know Him, and like any human relationship, the prayer relationship must be built, must be built over time, and we may have it in our head Oh, I know that God loves me. I know he's my friend. I, I know that I can trust him. But sometimes what we have in our heads is not really what's in our hearts. And it's prayer that, that brings those truths that we know to be true because of what we've been taught. They bring those truths into our hearts, make them real for us in an experiential way. I know that in my own discernment, it was a sense of peace and a sense of freedom to be myself most fully, that really were the wonderful signposts that finally allowed me to make that move. And those are gifts of the Holy Spirit, fruits of the Holy Spirit. I would say that's, again, and maybe another piece of advice is to pay attention to where that peace and that freedom comes for you. Um, what would you say about retreats? I mean, uh, people who want to oh. attend retreats, um, what should they be uh, looking for? There are, oh. there are silent retreats, there are walking yeah. retreats. So which one should people go to? That's a great question. Thank you. Um, well, I'm a, I'm a great fan of silent retreats. Uh, now, maybe they're not everyone's cup of tea, but I think we just don't have enough silence in our world. And, and God really does speak in the depths of the heart. And silence allows us to do two things. It, it allows us to become aware of ourselves and our own heart much more profoundly. And it allows us I think it allows God a little bit of room to move. Certainly in my own discernment, it was going on some silent retreats that really helped me to have a sense of where to move forward. But it wasn't only those. I think the more kind of communal interactive retreats, they're also helpful in a different way. You know, I think especially in terms of being a priest, that sense of community that is kind of built during a, a group retreat you get a sense of, oh, you know, I, I really feel at home here and I would I would like to give myself in service to this group. Uh, and of course, that's, you know, very close to the heart of priesthood is being uh, a servant to the faith community. Do you have anything else to add? Or no, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. I, I, I enjoy your podcast. You know, I went to India many, many years ago and uh, it was wonderful and I hope to come back there someday. So, but Thank you for just your interest in this topic, and I hope your listeners uh, get something out of my words. Uh, and yeah, it's really been a pleasure. 
thank you so much for coming to our show, Father Christian. And if any of the people listening to us want to join your order, where should they go and what should they uh, do about it? Oh, well, uh, we are called St. Meinrad, M-E-I-N-R-A-D, Arch Abbey. And we are located in Indiana in the United States of America. Uh, well, you can find our website online at stmeinrad.edu. Mm-hmm.